reaching from way down here. Yeah. Yeah. From way down here. Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Hello and welcome back to Thread. This episode marks the beginning of our journey through the Old Testament. So each year of this podcast, we plan on addressing one person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we have year one, which is Yahweh and the people, year two, Jesus and the people, and then year three is the Holy Spirit and the people. As we embark on this journey, we're dividing our podcasts into groups of four to eight episodes. So this allows people to join us, whether it's small groups or churches, if they want to come in for a shorter period of time, they could join us for this era or this series of episodes. Each group will stand on its own, but of course, we hope you find it fitting nicely all together and want to join us for the whole three-year journey. So we are entering Genesis 1 today in the creation story, and the next Two episodes after this will also be addressing creation. So today we're looking at creation and beauty. And next week is seasons and rhythms. And then the following episode after that will be light and darkness. Yeah, these episodes address elements of creation that were really baked into the universe before we saw human beings created. So we'll address man and womankind entering the scene in episode eight, but there's a lot to talk about before we see human beings show up. Today, we get to begin with creation and beauty. Beauty is often a neglected but very critical aspect of spirituality. So I know that what this does, because we're going to really park in this Genesis 1 space over the next three episodes, that these three episodes will really lean more heavily on the spirituality side. As we progress in the Old Testament, we're going to see many episodes lean more heavily on the story side of what we're trying to do. So what we find here in Genesis 1 is God creating these foundational elements in the cosmos, and they're intertwined, as we think about them now, They're intertwined in the way of being for us in the world and our understanding of how God shapes us and how he fills the, and this is important, formless and empty with his creation and fullness, which is what we see happening here in Genesis 1. So, Hannah, what we're going to do today is talk about beauty that surrounds us, beauty that reveals God how beauty meets us where we are, and how we must be willing ourselves to meet beauty. So let's start with beauty surrounding us. Could you read Genesis 1 1 and 2 for us to kind of set the tone for this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Yeah, there's so many amazing things in this passage that immediately capture the imagination. God, of course, as creator in everything that surrounds us. 
But he starts with this idea of formless and empty, that before there is any sense of God's work in forming or creating, we see a lack of form, we see an emptiness. Of course, the opposite of that is what we see that will happen in the rest of Genesis 1. God gives this formlessness form, and he fills this void, this emptiness, with a sense of fullness that's coming out everywhere. So there was a very respected 11th century French rabbi named Rashi. And I really like going back. I read Rashi's commentary sometimes to see some of the traditional views that the Jews had when they would look at some of these passages. And he uses some really interesting words when he describes these two verses. He talks about that formless and empty as a sense of bewilderment and void or astonishment and bafflement. So he immediately connects that a person is astonished and baffled over the void within themselves, this kind of emptiness or desolation, which I find really interesting as a spiritual, you know, someone thinks about spirituality a lot, is Rashi immediately looks at this text of the world being formless and empty and brings this to the personal journey of how we, without God, are formless and empty, which is just really interesting. So Rashi saw God as as giving structure or meaning or fullness into both the universe and into us individually. My spirit, my mentor, my academic mentor is named Father Ron Rollheiser, and he wrote in one of his early books, The Shattered Lantern, something that I think captures the spirit. He says, each of us aches for significance, meaning, uniqueness, preciousness, immortality and great love and beauty in our lives. This yearning is congenital and incurable. And so we really see human beings needing this sense of beauty as a part of how we were created. So even though, Hannah, we're not going to go through and read the entire Genesis chapter 1, I think it's important to kind of outline here, when God created on day one and saw that it was good, and then he created on day two and saw that it was good, and day three and day four, et cetera, that in the sense of the meta narrative in which we are addressing things in this podcast, let's walk through. Maybe you could share with us what did God do on day one and day two in a kind of general sense of how creation happened? I used to know this from memory, from Sunday school, but now I need to look at the text. <laughs> so we have day one, which was light and darkness, and then being those concepts being separated, all those entities. Day two, the heavens and the earth. Then we have day three, land, sea, vegetation. Day four were the lights in the sky, so that's the sun, the moon, and stars. Day five, we have the creatures of the sea and the sky. Day six, creatures of the land, including us, human beings. And then day seven, he rested. We have the Sabbath rest. Yeah, so what we really wanted to do in these next three episodes was look at these concepts or pillars or foundational elements in the universe and how they affect our spirituality. So as we begin, of course, we see beauty in all of these things. We see beauty in the light and the darkness. We see beauty in the heavens and the earth, and we'll get to some of that as we kind of unpack this conversation. 
But then there's an entire whole other conversation around the idea of lights in the sky, because what the sun and the moon and the stars do is they give us seasons and rhythms. And that, of course, is a really important part of our spirituality, how we think about our own rhythms in life and seasons of life. So that will be our next podcast. We'll talk about that. And so, yeah, today, today is beauty, just beauty in and of itself. So, yeah, the first thing we want to talk about is how beauty reveals God. Beauty has a story to tell. It reveals God's intent and God's heart. With beauty, we see God drawing us out of ourselves to frame our challenges in hope. Beauty demonstrates God's presence everywhere in our life. One of my favorite recent books that I've read on beauty is by a woman named Sarah Clarkson called This Beautiful Truth. And there's a couple quotes that I want to share from her today, but one of them is this quote here. Beauty summons us to its own truth. It challenges us to journey beyond the flatlands of cynicism towards the mountain ranges of a difficult and chosen hope. So amazing. I think one of the great challenges, Hannah, in our walk with God is bound up in our ability to really see things, to be aware or awake spiritually. And really for the last couple thousand years, all the way back to Jesus, when we look at how the Bible has called us to see, we're often reminded that we have eyes but don't always choose to see or ears and don't always choose to hear. So Psalm 119, 18 says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 17, after teaching the parable of the sower, he says to his disciples, blessed are your eyes because they see in your ears because they hear. Or even when the disciples were asking Jesus about the yeast of the Pharisees, Jesus said to them in Mark 8, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? So there's this reality that I think we immediately have to acknowledge, which is we can be surrounded by beauty but not see beauty. It actually requires us to do something with what we've been surrounded by. It's even bound up in the miracles in the New Testament, helping the blind to see, or Paul's conversion story. He was blind, but then given the ability to see. Of course, for Paul, this was really important. He had a need for a spiritual awakening. So there was spiritual realities all around him that he was not aware of, not awake to. He didn't see. And so we have this spiritual opening of the eyes that we see in Paul as he was physically opening his eyes. So seeing is really critical to meet God in God's beauty. We're surrounded by it in every corner of our lives, but it's easy to remain blind mm. to it. The book I've been reading recently, which I'm sure I'm going to reference throughout this episode because it relates so much to this topic of beauty and seeing, actually, too. It's by an Irish poet as well as a philosopher and former priest. He's called John Donahue. He sadly passed away in 2008, but he's written some beautiful prose and poetry. But this book is actually called Beauty, the Invisible Embrace. And he talks about the need to actually, this on this topic of seeing, to beautify our gaze. And I love that phrase. Um, and I think it's so important, especially in our very visual 
social media, reality TV age. I think there is a lot of coarseness in the culture and in the media. And it's easy even to mistake the images that we see or we're confronted with for beauty, when true beauty, I don't think, is manufactured. But Donahue writes how we've often heard that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and how we usually take that to mean that the sense of beauty is subjective. But he says this statement has another more subtle meaning, that if our style of looking becomes beautiful, then beauty will become more visible and shine forth for us. He continues this quote, When our eyes are graced with wonder, the world reveals its wonders to us. There are people who see only dullness in the world, and that is because their eyes have already been dulled. So much depends on how we look at things. The quality of our looking determines what we come to see. And I think this is such an important topic, even the ability to perceive the beauty that's around us and even train ourselves to see it, to look up from our screens and look around. Actually reminds me of a verse we've referenced earlier in this podcast um, in Matthew 6, where we spoke about the eye as the lamp of the body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light and how we are kind of in control about what we choose to, to look our gaze upon. And yeah. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. So beauty surrounds us, reveals God to us. But one of the other amazing things about beauty is how it meets us wherever we are. God, you know, you think about that story with Job and all that Job went through. This is just such a great example of beauty meeting us where we are and actually really helping to reshape or recontextualize our situation. So Job has this very difficult, you know, loses everything, suffering in a very, very dark place. He can't make sense of it theologically. His friends try to offer him all these interpretations about what's happening, what God is doing. And we see this interaction in the lighter part of the book of Job where God appears and speaks to Job, but God does not offer any explanations, but he rather offers Job an encounter. And in this encounter, he paints a picture of his beauty and creation. So the idea of God presenting himself in creation completely reshapes Job's experience. Job walks away from that satisfied, right? And I think that's just such a great demonstration of how beauty meets us where we are and really can speak to us wherever we are. So sometimes it's in creation or in something created, a song or a piece of art or a gentle touch by another human being. I so often see God's beauty in other people because God, of course, has put his image in all of us. So whether it's looking into the eyes of my granddaughter or seeing an engagement with a stranger who's kind, you see God's presence everywhere woven into the world and into the universe. So beauty calls us with the voice of God, sometimes in our grief, sometimes when things are going great, but I think God meets us in those tender spaces through beauty. One more quote here from Sarah Clarkson that kind of articulates this. She says, where suffering has made God abstract and distant to us, where brokenness leaves us with unanswerable questions, Beauty allows us to taste and see God's presence as he breaks into the circles of our inmost grief to remake the broken world. 
through beauty, we are called from the shadow sight of pain into the open horizons of hope. Mm. That image of beauty breaking through even moments of grief, grief, I think is a really poignant one. The first church service I attended after the war in Ukraine started, this was when I lived in Moldova last year, there was a sense of kind of words failing to meet the the depth of intensity of that service with all the Ukrainian refugees that were present, the us there. And I remember thinking we music might meet some of the, meet this need. And I had one of the teens in the group I was leading from Moldova. She studied opera. So I got her together along with one of the refugees that arrived that week. She's a violinist, an amazing singer too. And we got up on stage and sung this song, God of This City. And it's got great lyrics in that about kind of greater things are yet to come and greater things are still to be done in this city. And kind of looking out at the congregation, all singing with us, Russians, Ukrainians, Americans, British, was one of those moments where I felt like God is um, here amidst this grief, this pain. And it did feel like a moment of beauty breaking through in that song. I started studying Greek last year, and something that struck me as I was thinking about beauty was the way the Greek word for beauty, kaleo, or kalos, actually is is has the same root as the Greek word for calling, kaleo. And that's so interesting to me, the idea of when we're in the presence of beauty, it's not a neutral space. Like it calls us to something. It requires a response even from us, which I think is so true even with nature and even that scripture in Romans 1, I think it's 20, where he talks about men being without excuse because of this beauty that's in the created nature and that calls to us and I, I love that regardless of your social status your class your demographic beauty is accessible even like the sun rises the sun sets even in the the worst of places or situations it's a great example i love that you shared that about that service in moldova i think we we do sometimes easily go to beauty only tied up in the kind of nature piece Right in the sunset, in the in in you can ask the question, especially when you live in big cities, or you're not surrounded by you know we're in the concrete jungle, and where do we see beauty? And a lot of it is in those human interactions and in what God does in people. And so that was a really that's a great example. So obviously, in all of this, the real spirituality question is we've got to be willing to meet beauty. And what do we do with this? How do we actively think about and engage beauty? And I think a good place for us to kind of bring this in for a landing would be to really talk about that, how we must be willing to meet beauty. Jeremiah 6 verse 16 has this really great, almost very practical, pragmatic, but deep couple lines of scripture, Hannah, that maybe you could read for us. And I want to just walk this through because it gives us kind of these very practical ways of engaging if we apply it to beauty here, which I think would be a really great application. But could you read Jeremiah 6 verse 16? This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. 
and you will find rest for your souls. And there's so much happening in this passage. You know, the idea of standing at the crossroads and looking would speak to the idea that we have to stop and pay attention. Um, when my kids were little and we used to do family devotionals, we, the first thing we always did is we said, we have to remove all distractions. So if you have a toy, you have to put the toy aside. It's ironically something we're not really good at anymore, uh, even as adults, that in order to stop and really pay attention, we have to remove all the distractions from our life. And it's a really important part. So stop, pay attention, be present, and look. I love also in this passage how it says to reflect back to the ancient paths, to those that have gone before us, to think about their lives. It's been one of the real blessings on my academic journey is over these last number of years, I've had a chance to read some of the, the spiritual masters and to look at how they've considered engaging God and God's presence in their life. So reflecting back is important. I love that he then says, ask. Ask where the good way is. There's something about being curious instead of thinking we have the answers that opens us up to beauty. And then once we are curious and we ask, there's this call to walk, to apply, to move towards the good way and live in it as if there's this way of being in the world in which we are, have removed distractions, we are paying attention, we are connected to this great cloud of witnesses around us in this curious posture as we move. And when we live in that space, we find real rest. That's where we really get to enjoy God. I know we talked about that in one of our earlier episodes, the enjoyment of God. So, you know, just thinking about this and how we must be willing to meet beauty, even going back to the way that we talked through these seven days of creation, there's so much beauty in every aspect of that just to think about. I mean, you talked about in day one, God created light and darkness, and there's beauty in both places. Sometimes we only think about light and darkness as a sense of walk in the light and stay out of darkness because that's where sin is. And that is the way the metaphor applies in one sense. But we're going to talk about this in, in episode seven, that there's more to darkness than just that. There's other ways of thinking about this, that there's actually both beauty in a sunny day and there's beauty in a moonlit night sitting around a campfire. There's, there is, as we've already stated, beauty in coming into the spiritual light. There's certainly beauty in that. But there's also beauty in the dark and disorienting times where we meet God in our own wilderness. And I think we can apply that meeting God in beauty in the heavens and the earth, certainly the cosmos and our ability to view this vastness of creation. And there's beauty in the land and the sea and the vegetation and the beautiful things that God's created there. There's beauty in the creatures of the sea and sky. Although uh, there are some creatures that some people don't find beautiful. <laughs> like we have little newts that sit outside of our porch at night. Oh yeah. In here in San Antonio. And my wife calls it the lizard cave. <laughs> uh, our front porch, she absolutely hates the lizards on the wall. <laughs> I find them beautiful. Aww. But you know, we don't always find everything beautiful. 
But, and as we've already talked about, you know, finding beauty in each other in human beings, certainly the seventh day, the Sabbath rest, there's a lot of beauty there, right? The beauty, the, the ability to just sit and contemplate and rest and ponder and connect with each other and with God. So beauty appears in every aspect of God's creation. Mm, I like that you could break down the goodness in each day or the beauty in each day, because something that has did always strike me from the creation account is God taking the time to enjoy what had just been created. It's that refrain of like, and he saw that it was good like seven times. <laughs> it seems like even in doing that, he's setting an example for us to do the same to as i mentioned before that beautifying our gaze and i do think getting out into nature is so important for for that for seeing what's around us especially in our screen heavy culture there's a john donahue continues in the book i referenced the invisible embrace to to speak about the idea of getting out in nature and I love this quote where he, he says, rather than taking us out of ourselves, nature coaxes us deeper inwards and teaches us to rest in the serenity of our elemental nature. When we go out among nature, clay is returning to clay. We are returning to participate in the stillness of the earth, which first dreamed us. Um, and the beauty of nature is often the wisest balm, for it gently relieves and releases the caged mind, which... It's definitely been true for me. Getting out in nature has definitely been a release. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons I like to mountain bike. I, that's one of my escapes, mm. right? I just get to get out and get exercise, but just dodging trees and watching deer is a lot of fun for me. Well, I don't know if that'll be fun <laughs> so for So there's one other concept <laughs> that wouldn't be fun what? for you? I'm not on a mountain bike. I like biking, but not maybe not on a smooth terrain. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the adventure. <laughs> so, you know, the last thing I think I'd like to bring into this conversation is the idea of our world being disenchanted. One of the things that, that I think prohibits our ability to see beauty is we've been almost overly trained with rationalism. You know, back in the 16th century and before, there was a sense of mystery and awe and mystique about the world, there was, a, there was more of an awareness of the spirit realm. And sometimes, you know, we look at the way that they may have seen things and thought, oh, that's so elementary, you know. But, you know, for, t for us today, if you're sick, you take a pill. And 500 years ago, if you were sick, you got on your knees and prayed. And so I know that there's a balance there, but I do think it's important to recognize that since the Enlightenment, we've really disoriented ourselves spiritually by disenchanting the world and trying to come up with rational explanations for absolutely everything. So it stops us from looking into these beautiful things that surround us with that sense of mystery and awe. I do think that what we're talking about here today and I can reverse the effects by paying attention to and embracing these habits of sitting in awe and appreciating beauty and enjoying the mystery of God. And as we talked in a previous episode about seeing things as icons, that we see through them to see the divine in them, it, whether it's a blade of grass or it's a beautiful live oak tree here in South Texas or 
it's, you know, whatever it is that God can speak to us through those things, if we really allow that sense of awe to come upon us. Mm. Yeah, I do love that we're talking about beauty in this first episode. So, yeah, as we've mentioned elsewhere, but it isn't something that has typically been seen as having value. I think anyone who has studied something in the arts knows this very well and they've had to defend why they're getting a degree in English literature to an uncle at a family barbecue, for example. <laughs> You're not speaking from experience, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no personal experience. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I think that is a product of that maybe post-enlightenment shift that you just kind of described, that focus on what is functional, what is rational, like why are you studying books or drama or art or music? But I think even that can creep into the church too and you've mentioned this before even that emphasis you even saw on that functional aspect of church even the buildings we chose or the um, order of service um, and all that perhaps tendency to look down on denominations or groups that are more invested in beauty for example either in artwork or buildings or stained glass I was at the British Library yesterday and they had a display of biblical manuscripts, medieval biblical manuscripts. And it was amazing looking at these Bibles from the 1400s and to think of the time that was actually taken to make them beautiful. The calligraphy, actually one was open to Genesis 1 and they would often, the first letter of the verse, so this was I in the beginning, would be really ornately done. And actually they had seven images within the eye of the creation. But it was a, a painting for each um, day within that first letter. And maybe we can put it in the show notes. I took a picture of it. But I just thought, wow, it's not just the content that is beautiful um, to this person, but they want them the the form also to kind of reflect that beauty too. And as you've mentioned, I think these things, art, music, literature, poetry, landscape, they are these icons, not idols. I've learned that icons <laughs> um, that point us to the creator and the ultimate artist. In the episode we did on our image of God, I mentioned in that about studying theology and feeling like my image of God was a bit blurry just from the dialogues I've been having with people and questions that are being raised in me. And I feel like I presented that as something pejorative or negative, perhaps. And I actually think, so I wanted to correct even that in this episode, that what has happened, even in myself, is I'm becoming more comfortable with mystery. And even this idea of, I'll never be able to grasp the fullness of God's nature this side of heaven. But I do think beauty, and as we've discussed in earlier episodes, metaphor as well, is one of those things that gestures towards the divine is, and is that invisible embrace. There's so much comfort in that idea of being okay with not being complete, that we're a work in progress, that mystery is divine, that we're, you know, and you know, you and I've joked offline about this podcast. We don't want it to be polished. We're not trying to be perfect because we're, you know, we're all just being made. And I think beauty speaks into that space too really well. So it's a really great way, place for us to kind of bring this in for a landing. I think the idea and really our hope today is for our listeners to have eyes that see and ears that hear and noses that smell and to take in this amazing, beautiful, mysterious place that God has put us. Thank you, Dave. And we'll see you all 
next week to discuss seasons and rhythms. All right. Talk to you next week. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm on here, I get a better view of this